Thank you, Jordan. Our hope really does endure, despite sometimes the sun is hidden. Those are important words for us to remember. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father God, we, um, we thank you for the fact that uh, there are times when it's difficult to see you, but you are still there. And Father, I pray maybe some today are having a difficult time seeing you, and you, you know that. And Lord, I believe that you are God who wants to reveal yourself. Lord, I ask that you would do that in a way through your power of the Holy Spirit. I pray you would do that through the preaching of your word. And Lord, I ask that your servant would, uh, would get out of the way and that Christ would be lifted high today. Hmm. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. That is our prayer today. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Last week, we discussed how God sees us from Zechariah chapter 3. And despite our great effort to get in right standing with God, to be clean with God, we learned that we are often like Joshua, the high priest, covered in filth. What are we to do? There's only one answer. And it's best illustrated by Martin Luther and his inkwell. His inkwell. There's an ink spot in a castle called the Warburg Castle in Germany. And apparently Martin Luther, hundreds of years ago, was having a dream. And Satan appeared to him, reading a, a long scroll with all of his many sins from the time of his birth all the way to the present. And as the reading of the list proceeded, Luther's terror grew until finally he jumped up and said, It is all true, Satan, and many more sins I've committed in my life which are known to God only. But right at the bottom of your list, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin, and then grasping an inkwell from his table, he threw it at the devil. Now, I'm not saying you should grab an inkwell if you can find one today. Throw it at the devil. But do you believe that you are really clean because of what Christ has done for you? That he is your new Joshua? That he is your high priest? That he has taken off the filthy garments and put on the white garments. And you are now clean before God. And that's how God sees you. Do you believe that? If you can answer that question, believing that God sees you as clean through Jesus and what he did for you by dying on a cross, shedding his blood, and raising to new life so you might have life. If you can answer that question, then you need to go on to our next question. 
And then it's, how do you see God? Now, why is that important? Well, if you misjudge others, that can lead to, to broken relationships. Doesn't that happen all the time? You think that a person is this way, and really they're not, and so you just don't want to hang out with them? Or maybe you think they said something or did something, and uh, you don't have all your facts straight. And so there's a broken relationship. It's bad if you misjudge others. And if you misjudge yourself, then you might think that you're a good person and that your righteousness can save you. So misjudging others and misjudging yourself can be very problematic. In fact, that's what Joshua the high priest found himself in, standing before God, stained by sin, helpless to do anything about it. And that would be terrifying. However, what if you misjudged God? What if you misjudged God? What if you see God in a way that is only partially true? People do this all the time that I encounter in the community or online, my discussions with them. They think that God is uh, not very loving, that he doesn't care. Or they think that God is not powerful, that he can do nothing about it. Their misjudgment of God can, can ultimately lead to their damnation. So the, the question's really important today. How do you see God? To find out the answer to that, I'm going to ask that you turn to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 4. And as I told you last week, remember the little trick to find Zechariah? You go to Matthew in the New Testament and then go two books back, okay? So Matthew, then Malachi, then Zechariah. Or you can just look at the table of contents, whatever you want to do, okay? So we're going to look at Zechariah chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Zechariah 4, starting in verse 1. It says this, Then the angel who talked with me returned and wakened me as a man is wakened from his sleep. He asked me, What do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with seven channels to the lights. And also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other is on its left. And I asked the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? He answered, Do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it, or literally, grace, grace to it. And then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. 
Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Uh, These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range throughout the earth. And then I asked the angel, what are, what are these two olive trees? One on the right and the left of the lampstand. And again I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? And he replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Now this passage is one of those in the Bible that I have a hard time understanding. Maybe you've got it all figured out, um, but all this talk of lampstands and bowls and olive trees and gold pipes could be a little confusing. And I want to tell you today that the best way, in fact the only way to read the scripture is to read it literally and normally. When you read the scriptures, you need to know that, that it's not difficult. The Holy Spirit wants to show you and reveal these things to you. And so therefore, when the angel comes and awakens Zechariah from his sleep and asks what Zechariah sees, the answer is really pretty simple. Zechariah saw a lampstand. That's what it was. This would not have been anything new to Zechariah because as a son of a priest, he would have gone to the temple. He would have seen lampstands all the time. In other words, the angel of the Lord is is asking Zechariah, what vision do you have of God? And of course, Zechariah sees the temple. This is like us. Most of us, when we see God, we think of him in light of the religious and worship forms that are common to us. Some of these religious forms have really deep meaning, don't they? Understanding of God is informed by the hymns we sang, the great psalms that we just sang, right? It helps us to understand God. The types of prayers that we pray, that helps us to see God. The Bible stories we've been taught, the Christian camps, where God has spoken to us so powerfully. And then the written and unwritten rules of church. All these these structures, all these forms help us to see God. There's nothing wrong with having worship forms. Worship forms act as a structure to really get to know God. God gives us these forms as he did in great detail in the Old Testament of his his, uh, instructions about the tabernacles, instructions about the temple. There's nothing wrong with these forms. Our problem arises, though, when we start to worship the worship forms and not worship God. And to help overcome this problem, we need to constantly be seeking God and be open to new ways He's speaking to us. And that's how relationships thrive, sharing various ways and new ways of communicating love for each other. In other words, think of it this way. If Lori told me every day, hey, John, you're my favorite guy. And um, she just said that every day. Monday, hey, John, you're my favorite guy. Tuesday, hey, John, you're my favorite guy. Wednesday, you're my favorite guy. But there was no, there was no gifts. 
There was no words of encouragement. There was no time that we spent together. Other than that, there was no physical touch, no kisses. Our relationship wouldn't have thrived. In fact, our relationship is strengthened by discovering new ways to relate to one another. That's why a few weeks ago we went to, uh, to Laura Gorge to go tubing. You can see the picture up here. And um, we had a great time. And we, we, we got to relate to each other in a new way. It was a fun time. Now imagine this. If we told God that he was our favorite God all the time, and we said it the same way each and every day, I think that it would soon just turn into duty, and only duty, and no delight into who he really is. Today we need to think of saying, I need to see God in a new and fresh way. See, Zechariah wanted to delight himself in God, and so he looked for new ways to see him. And next he sees in this passage seven lights on a lampstand. So what's that all about? Well, we can find help in interpreting what that means in the context. In fact, verses 2 and 3, Zechariah sees the lampstand lights in olive trees. And then the angel of the Lord helps interpret what they mean in the rest of the passage. See, the Bible, we can use the Bible to interpret the Bible. And so if you jump down to verse 10, we see that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah and explains these seven, referring back to those seven lights, are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the earth. Therefore, we can understand that the seven lights are the eyes of the Lord. The seven eyes of the Lord do not mean that God is some type of seven-headed monster, okay? No, seven is the number of perfection, which means that God sees perfectly. He sees perfectly, even better than we see ourselves, which we learned about last week with the vision of Joshua the high priest. Apparently, Zechariah already believed that God saw things perfectly because Zechariah focuses on the olive trees. You notice that? He, he's not focusing on the lampstand. He's focusing on the olive trees. The olive trees are what stood out. And this is why Zechariah asked three times, what are these in verse 4? And then in verse 11, he says, what are these? Verse, and then in verse 12, what are these? You see, Zechariah was familiar with these seven lights representing the eyes of the Lord because that was a common theme in Scripture. In such places as 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And then in Psalm 34, verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. Oh, that brings us great hope, doesn't it? And then Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Therefore, the Lord is always watching us, and he sees perfectly not only our actions, but our motivations. The truth of the fact that God is watching us should cause us to want to follow him in his ways. But I, I, I believe that many of you Many of you know that God is watching. Sometimes you forget and think nobody's watching when you take that extra piece of cake or pie. 
or fudging the numbers a little bit at work, or taking a peek at porn on TV, on the computer, or on your smartphone. But God is watching. Goes back to that little song that we sang when I was a little kid. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. How does the rest of it go? For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. My favorite part of that song is that the Father is looking down in love. He's looking down in love at us. And it's a good reminder for us that God is watching us in love. But again, this is not the the focus of Zachariah's vision. The focus of his vision is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Four times the name Zerubbabel comes up. Can you say that name, Zerubbabel? That's pretty good. (laughs) Who is Zerubbabel? I love that name. It's one of my favorite names. This turns to Haggai chapter 1. This one book back, okay? One book back from Zechariah. And, and look at verse 1. And you'll find out the answer to who Zerubbabel is. Verse 1 of Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Haggai was dealing with these same two characters that we've dealt with last week and this week. And so he explains to us who Zerubbabel means, is and, and what, is, what he's all about. Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah after the Babylonian captivity, after the Israelites had had 70 years in Babylon. But think about this. Do you know what Zerubbabel means? Do you know what his name means? It means seed of Babylon. Seed of Babylon. Comes from Babylon. Think about that. After all those years of spending time in Babylon, 70 years being oppressed, being being enslaved, being mistreated. And you go back to Judah and your governor is named the seed of Babylon. That'd be awful. You would always be reminded of the place of exile. Think about Zerubbabel himself. He'd always be known as he comes from Babylon. That terrible place. That would be like us calling one of our kids Nazi, okay? Hey, Nazi, come over here. We wouldn't do that, would we? But here we see Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. Here's an important truth about seeing God. He will surprise us when he reveals himself. And I find three surprises about God from this passage. First of all, God selects the rejects. God selects the rejects. Zerubbabel follows a long list of people who were rejected by others, but used by God. 
If you want to check out one of the list of people that God used, despite by being rejected by others, you don't have to go any further than the genealogy of Christ. In Matthew chapter 1, we find one of the lists of the genealogy of Christ. And there's four women listed there. And they're either women who are known to have a past or were suspected of a past. Oh, and, and by the way, Zerubbabel, he's found in Jesus' ancestors. He's found in the genealogy of Christ. God uses people others reject. Have you been rejected today? Have you been rejected this week? Have you been rejected because of your background? Because of your weaknesses? Because of your Christian faith? If so, you're in really good company. You are in prime place for God to use you. God selects the rejects. He did with Zerubbabel, he will with you. Second of all, I see that God's power is demonstrated with the powerless. We see the surprise of God's power in the powerless. Notice in verse 6 that the Holy Spirit is contrasted with might and power. See, 16 years earlier, the people had tried to rebuild the temple by their own strength and it failed. You find this in Ezra chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, if you want to read later. And listen to what Old Testament scholar Walter Kaiser reminds us. Human effort without the supply of oil of the Holy Spirit would burn itself out. What the gold olive oil was to the seven fluted oil lamps, the Spirit of God is to all aspects of any work done in his name. And this is what he says. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's provision and God's power. Let me say that again. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's provision and God's power. Our resources and resoluteness will not let us see God. Our education and our effort will not let us see God. Our planning and our powers of persuasion will not let us see God. Only the Holy Spirit will let us see God. So God gives power to the powerless. Are you letting the Holy Spirit work in your life so that you can see God? He wants to do so today. A third surprise in this passage is that God's small work completes the biggest task. I love to see God work in mighty ways. Here's some of the things that I've been praying for. I want massive revival to hit our land. I want the courthouse in downtown Oshawa to be empty because there's no more crime in this city. I want the prostitutes and those who have been human trafficked here in our community to be rescued from their life of shame and to find Jesus Christ who will save them, who will clean them up, who will take away all the stains. 
I want the many Muslims in our country that are flooding our country to know that Jesus, Isa, is not just a prophet. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world and that he could save them. What big things do you want God to do? I want to see in my lifetime that in Canada, the amount of Christians would at least double by the time that I go see Jesus. If you want to see the big things, then you actually, though, need to start small. God's word to you and me is, who despises the small things? Did you catch that when I read it to you earlier? Verse 10, who despises the day of small things? We need to remember that the spiritual conversation that we have with our neighbor, that's the small thing that the Holy Spirit's working in. You know that card that you're going to send that person who's who's just lost a loved one, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. You know that, um, that gift that you, you give and you're, you're willing to just share whatever, whenever someone comes by and you, you just give it to them, whether it's a, it's, a, it's a fellow student, it's a neighbor, it's a coworker, they have need of it, that's the way the Holy Spirit's working. In the case of Zerubbabel, he needed to remove the mighty mountain. Verse 7. He needed to remove the mighty mountain, that giant obstacle, and make it level ground. And then he could bring out the capstone and start building God's blessing and grace. Oh, this is important, especially, especially to you seasoned saints where you've seen God work in mighty ways and you've seen even this building being built. But this next generation, there are so many people who don't know Jesus Christ that we're going to have to work in small ways. We're going to have to move the mountain. And how do you do that? How do you move a mountain? One stone at a time. One stone at a time. What are the mountains you need to remove? They could be the people who think they can help, like in Ezra chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, but they turn out to be discouragers. They don't really want to help. My friends, do not let anything or anybody distract you from doing the small things that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do. This is the only way to complete the work at hand. So if you want to see God, You have to be open to seeing him work in surprising ways. Zechariah found this to be true. He saw two olive trees, symbolic of Joshua and Zerubbabel. Joshua, as we learned last week, represented Jesus as our new high priest. And Zerubbabel represents Jesus as our king. And Haggai Chapter 2, verse 23. There's a prophecy, prophecy of Zerubbabel. And it says this, On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, 
I will take my servant, Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. See, Zerubbabel, though he was a seed of Babylon, he would become a king in the line of David, a signet ring, a seal, that God was going to continue to do it, that his authority was still prevalent. Like Zerubbabel, Jesus' birth and hometown was despised. John chapter 1, verse 46 records a common saying, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? You see, Jesus redeems people and places others reject because Jesus himself was rejected because of the place that he was from. And like Zerubbabel, Jesus overcame the mountain that was such an obstacle to people and instead leveled it so that we could all go to the cross of Jesus Christ and find grace and mercy in our time of need. Isn't this what Isaiah prophesied in chapter 40, verses 4 through 5? Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is exactly what Jesus did when he climbed the Mount of Calvary and made it level for us to be with God. <laughs> and like Zerubbabel, Jesus also brought a capstone. In fact, this is repeated time and time again in the New Testament. We find it in Matthew chapter 21 through 42, and Mark 12, verse, 11, verse 10, Acts 4, 11, 1 Peter 2, 7. Jesus brought a capstone, and we can now shout that this stone and building is God's grace and blessing. Grace, grace to it, God's blessing on it. This building that God is building through Jesus Christ brings grace, and it's built on grace. It's no longer built on effort. And like Zerubbabel, Jesus did not come in might and power, but he laid those aside and instead relied on the Holy Spirit to empower the work that God had him to do. Do you realize that? That Jesus himself, the Son of God, did not rely on his own power. He relied on the Holy Spirit to help him to do the work that God had called him to do. What an amazing God. And finally, like Zerubbabel, Jesus is building a new temple, but this temple is greater than bricks and mortar. It is about a people. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that we are God's temple. It started with 12 men and has grown into something large. It includes you. Will you be part of its completion? Friends, there's only one way to see God. His name is Jesus. He selects those others reject. He gives power to the powerless. He uses the small things to complete the biggest task. Look for him today. 
Have you trusted in Christ as your new Joshua, the high priest, to make you clean? Have you trusted in Christ as your new Zerubbabel, your new king to follow? Today can be the day of seeing God in a whole new way. Maybe today is your first time here and you say, I need to give my life to this new king, this King Jesus. I need to be made clean. Maybe you've been here a long time and there's, you're stained and you have not gone to God for forgiveness. Today can be the day of salvation for you. As we sing right now, I'm going to ask that you come and um, we'll have some pastors here to pray with you. And this can, day can be the day where you ultimately see God. Will you look for him today? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us to see your, you, Lord, through Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for showing us through Zerubbabel that it's not by might nor by power but by our own effort, but it's through your Holy Spirit who's drawing us to you. Oh, thank you for the glimpse of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.